Hello, um, my name is Karen Hall, and this is Micah Sanders, and we play in the cello section of the orchestra, if you didn't notice that. Um, and today we're going to share some scripture with you. So our... Our scripture reading today is found in John 16, 7 through 14. Let us stand for the reading of God's word. Very truly I tell you, it is for your good that I am going away. Unless I go away, the advocate will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. When he comes, he will prove the world to be in the wrong about sin and righteousness and judgment. About sin, because people do not believe in me. About righteousness, because I'm going to the Father, where you can see me no longer. And about judgment, because the prince of this world now stands condemned. I have much more to say to you, more than you can now bear. But when he, the spirit of truth, comes, he will guide you into all the truth. He will glorify me, because it is from me that he will receive what he will make known to you. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. Thank you, Karen and Micah. Karen, I was flying in the airplane um, this week, and I was reading, and I looked up, and on the screen, I saw you playing the cello on a show. I think it was Glee, but, uh, but anyway, it's good to see you reading Scripture. It's great to have you here. <laughs> You'll see the title of my sermon today, There's Someone Better Than Jesus. That's a provocative title, or just wrong. Uh, but maybe it's something that Jesus points us toward himself, and that's what I believe. Well, actually, when I read the text that Micah and Karen read to us today, I thought of this Tennyson poem. Perhaps you, you know it. It goes something like this. Uh, Tis better to have loved and lost than never to have lost at all. Wrong, I heard. I knew, I knew we would have some English majors or English teachers up here saying, that's not the way it goes. It's better to have loved and lost than never to have loved at all. To, to lose what we love, that's never good. Do you remember? Uh, I, I spoke about this a few weeks ago, how hard it is for us to lose anything, to lose those people that we love. It's just devastating. And yet, when I read the words of Jesus here, he insists that it is better for us to lose him. Look again at verse 7. Jesus turned to his disciples and he said, Very truly I tell you. So he wanted them to listen as much as I want you to listen. He said, It is for your good. It is for your good that I am going away. Because unless I go, someone else, the advocate, the Holy Spirit, will not come to you. Now, for those of you who have been here to Lake Avenue Church for the past few months, you'll, you know that as Jesus speaks these words, uh, the time for his arrest and his execution is at hand. He, he has been teaching now ever since John 13, three chapters, 13, 14, and 15, to trying to get people ready for the fact that he is going to leave. So now as he is here, I picture when he gets to chapter 16 here, him walking toward the Garden of Gethsemane. He'd had a walk like this with his disciples many times before. He had talked with them about many things, but he knew this is the last time he would, he would talk with them. Uh, but before he leaves, he wants them to know that his going is not going to be the disaster that they think it's going to be. In fact, he's telling them, my going is a blessing for you. 
How could that be? It's good for you. And he says specifically, it's so that the Holy Spirit could come, the Holy Spirit. Now, uh, we have been talking about the Holy Spirit a number of times over the past several months here at the church. Uh, Last fall, while I was away, Pastor Jeff Leo uh, took the sixth article of our statement of faith, and he talked about how the Holy Spirit works in us and then through us. Uh, A few weeks ago, Pastor Jeff Matisich took John chapter 14 and Jesus' own words and talked about how the Holy Spirit comes and makes the presence of God real to us. He, he makes God real to us, the, the work of the Spirit in our lives. I recommend those sermons highly to you. Uh, you can find them if you go online by typing in sermons at, no, sermons.lakeav.org. And I think you can also find there a commentary on the Holy Spirit that I helped to write uh, that fills in a, a much about what we believe here at our church about the Holy Spirit. I point you to those things because today I want to focus on one specific part of what Jesus says about the Holy Spirit, and that is this matter that it's better for me to go so that the Spirit can come. In fact, one of the reasons I am leaving you is that if I don't leave you, the Holy Spirit cannot come to you. For for some reason that goes beyond human understanding, Jesus' death and resurrection was necessary before the Spirit of God could come. And at least a part of it is this, that there is no way that this Holy Spirit of God could come into sinful people like me and like all of us are, apart from the fact that the Holy Spirit has, that Jesus took care of our sins, and then the Holy Spirit could dwell within us. Uh, So he's been, but the question I have is, for what purpose does the Spirit of God come into you and me? And, And a part of it is for that comfort to us. Jeff talked about that, to make God known to us that we know that God is a refuge and strength and very present help. If you look at verse 12 in this text that Karen and Micah didn't read, it's sometimes to guide us, to guide us. But here in verses 7 through 11, Jesus talks specifically about something else, the work of the Holy Spirit both in us and then through us to further God's mission in the world. Now, when you think about the Holy Spirit, let's just face it, uh, there's a lot of mystery here. There's a lot that's hard to understand. In some ways, isn't Jesus a little bit easier to understand? Because Jesus took on human flesh. People could see him. They, They could describe what he looked like. They could tell us what he did. We have words recorded of what he actually said. But the Holy Spirit has his main goal of pointing to Jesus in some ways. And so in some ways, it just feels to us to be so intangible, hard to get our, our hands on. Uh, so t- this is Arts Weekend. And my son, who is a, an artist, sometimes has said to me, sometimes uh, art has the ability to speak into mystery. It takes those things sometimes uh, that words can't fully get us toward and helps us to get a deep understanding of or a different kind of experience of. So I thought, well, let me think about, look and see what artists have said about the Holy Spirit. And as I've looked, usually they have taken the three main words used to describe the Spirit and tried to put that into some art form. Those words are, are the Holy Spirit is like a dove. You have that sometimes in the New Testament. The Holy Spirit sometimes like a fire. And, and then the Holy Spirit like a wind. So as I've gone back through some of the artwork, uh, the Holy Spirit like a dove is very often found in the great paintings. I, I show, I'll show you one here by Rubens. 
And as you look at that, I think we have it. Yes, you can look at that and you can see how it's trying to show that dove in the top and the power of God somehow hovering at that place. Many of the pieces of art try to help us to see that, the Holy Spirit in that way hovering and yet the power of God through, through the Spirit. Uh, another way is through fire. And, and I think that's because in the book of uh, Acts chapter 2 when the Holy Spirit comes at Pentecost, it, it's described as tongues of fire. And I think also Christians throughout the centuries when we've experienced the working of the Holy Spirit on our hearts, sometimes it's like a burning inside of us, moving us towards something we haven't done before. Any of you have ever experienced that? And so artists have tried to capture that. I found one picture that I thought well, was, was quite good uh, to try to show this, this power of the Holy Spirit that you can't really grab hold of or control. He controls us. So I was talking about this Tuesday, Pastor Carol Kenyon, one of our pastors, who's also an artist. And she said, uh, Greg, sometimes artists have tried to put them both together, a dub with fire. I couldn't imagine it. But she was right. I found several pictures like that. I'll show you one of them right here. Now, the other word is, of course, for wind. I haven't found a single artist try to paint the wind. Though I tell you, now, this morning, I heard that our administration is predicting, our, our government, that uh, by 2050, 35% of all the energy in the United States may be generated by wind. I thought, that's going to be able to illustrate the power of the Holy Spirit. You don't see it, but it, but it does something. And I can imagine in MoMA or some of our contemporary art museums, I could see artists coming up with something about that. Well, with those images in mind, let's look at these words of Jesus in verses 8 through 11, there are parts of these words that are very hard to get hold of what he means. So here's what he says, verse 8. When the Holy Spirit comes, he will prove the world to be in the wrong, or many translations say he will convict the world about sin and righteousness and judgment. About sin because people do not believe in me, Jesus said. About righteousness because I am going to the Father where you can see me no longer, and about judgment because the prince of this world now stands condemned. Do you understand that? I, I find that to be, I, I, I can get a, a bit of a grasp on it, but I, I find the words to be hard to, to fully understand. So I, I've written down, I think when we read that, we get a, a sense of what it's talking about. It, Jesus is talking about the specific work of the Holy Spirit to awake in people's hearts and lives, a sense of the conviction that there's something wrong here, that there's sin. And, and so a conviction of people's need of Jesus in their lives. It seems to me that's what Jesus says the Spirit will do. We'll give witness, and God will use that to bring about a sense of conviction in the lives of people. And so I've thought, and I've seen this so many times, why is it that people live sometimes many, many years without any interest in God whatsoever, and then suddenly they are arrested by the thought that there must be a God. This happened to my father when he was about 30 years old, and he began this search for God, and I, I, I just thought this week that he began writing letters to all the different religious organizations trying to, as he was trying to find God, and one of them he wrote was to Pasadena, to the Worldwide Church of God. A neighbor saw him doing that and led him to the Lord. But what, what leads to that sort of thing? Why is it that sometimes a person who has had no interest in any spiritual thing at all suddenly becomes consumed by spiritual things? 
What's the explanation for that? And believe me, if you don't know people like that, there are many, many people in our church that it all started that way. And Jesus here is saying, it's the work of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit convicts the world of sin, righteousness, and judgment. Now, one more thing. That word convicts, convicts the world, is an interesting word. For all of our attorneys, it's, it's, a, it's a legal term. It's a lawyer's term. It's for the person who cross-examines a witness. Um, so it's really interesting for me that the two words Jesus uses for the Holy Spirit are both lawyer terms. One paraclete, that's one who stands with the one being accused, you know, to, so he's not alone. And on the other side, the one who is making the accusation. So the Holy Spirit essentially is the one who not only stands with the one being accused, the Christian when we're accused, but as you're being accused and you speak about Jesus, he'll convict the accuser of their need of Jesus. So when, when, what Jesus seems to be saying is that not only does the Holy Spirit stand with us and support us when we feel like we're on trial by the world, when in those times we seek to give witness to Jesus, he'll be there uh, drawing people to God through our words. So, so remember last week's message, you and I are called to be God's witnesses, Christ's witnesses in the world. Uh, chapter 15, verses 26 and 27. But when we go out and talk about Jesus, Jesus said, you've got to know this. Sometimes the world's going to hate you and even persecute you. But here now Jesus is saying, even if they do, if you'll give witness to me, the Spirit of God may work in their very hearts and they may come to know me. So that's what he's saying. How does he talk about that? So look, look at those three ways he does. I put them in my own words. Um, I'll, I'll put mine and I'll put Jesus right beside him. I think he's saying that the Holy Spirit convicts people of the sin of not believing in Jesus, the ultimate thing that keeps people from God. Uh, Jesus said he'll convict people about sin because people do not believe in me. Now, the way I've seen this happen so often uh, is that people will begin to have sort of a, a belief in God or that there must be some sort of deity out there and yet, even though maybe they have even had some connection with, with some sort of religion or some sort of church, suddenly there becomes this awareness that they don't know God personally. Or, or perhaps they've lived their whole lives thinking they don't need God. I'm doing just fine on my own. But then suddenly they, they begin to wonder, well, there must be something more in this world than just physical things. Maybe I'm wrong. Maybe there is a God. And if so, what is he like? And am I ready to meet him? And I, I do think that the, uh, the bottom line question that so often comes up is, isn't there more in this world than just physical, material things? There must be. Then, as, as a Christian gives witness to Jesus, or a sermon is preached sometimes, believe it or not, God, the Spirit can use sermons, what happens is more questions begin to arise that never had been there before. Why do I have this sense that some things are right, some things are wrong? What is this world about? Where is it headed? See, Jesus is saying that those kind of promptings, when they begin to happen, are often the promptings of the Spirit of God. They're the kinds of things that happen in your life when God's Spirit is working in your own heart. And, and the prompting of the Spirit ultimately it, once you begin opening yourself up to it, is going to bring you to Jesus. Because if you look at Jesus' words in, in, in John 16, verse 14, the Spirit always glorifies Jesus. 
so that when you become, begin to become open to God and want to know God, ultimately you're going to come back to the one who brings you to God, the one who is the way to God, and that is to Jesus. That's what Jesus is saying here. The Holy Spirit convicts people of their need to meet God and that that happens through Jesus. What else does Jesus say? He says the Holy Spirit convicts people about our need to be made righteous in Jesus. To be made righteous. There's another one of those religious terms. We don't use that often outside of church. But Jesus used it about righteousness, he said. Because I am going to the Father. Now, I think that's confusing until you realize that Jesus, when he talked with people, was always talking with people who tried to act like they were righteous on their own. Or at least they tried to make everybody think they were righteous on their own. In other words, that everything about them was right. Everybody else was messed up, but I'm just fine as I am. He, he dealt with that all the time. And he was talking about righteousness, I think, like the prophet Isaiah did. That all our human righteousness, Isaiah 64, 6, all our human righteousness is like filthy rags. See, what's going to happen when the Spirit of God is at work? You and I are going to finally become honest about ourselves. And we're going to look inside of ourselves and say, there's just something not right inside of me. That's what righteous is about. Something that's not the way it's supposed to be. Now, now the person that I think has written about this in the most compelling way of any book I've ever read was Donald Miller in one of his early books called Blue Like Jazz. He wrote about a time when, as a boy, one day he realized, it's not just that I do some things that are wrong, there's something wrong with me. Why is it that I do the very things I don't want to do and I keep doing them over and over? I try to stop. There's something wrong with me, he said. One time when I was talking about this to you, I, I told you when that, ha that happened in my life. Uh, it was at, at a Christmas when, when I wanted this basketball so badly because I loved basketball and I thought mine was worn out and my mom didn't want to get me a new basketball, but we had money to buy presents for the family. Do you remember me telling this terrible story about myself? So I, got, I went and bought presents, and when my brother opened, he, who didn't like basketball, opened the present I gave him, it was a basketball. He just flipped it back and said, great present, brother. I, I, I thought, what's wrong with me? Why, why do I do these selfish things over and over again? See, when that begins to happen, when you begin to acknowledge there's something not right, not righteous about me, you can almost be sure that the Spirit of God is at work. That when you, someone speaks to you or a sermon goes and you, and you just know there are some things that you've engaged in that need to be forgiven and some things that just need to be fundamentally changed. Jesus is saying that's the Spirit's work in your life. And then you open up this Bible and begin reading about Jesus. And I'll tell you what happens. It happens with little children and it happens with almost any of us who have just, a, just an honest, candid reading of the Bible. We read about Jesus and we say, that's the way life's supposed to be lived. That's the way you treat people. It's not self-centered. It's the life of, that is right, and he is the only one who lived that way perfectly. So righteousness, he's the only one who could go to be with the Father. I think that's what he is getting at, and he is our way to him. I can only tell you that when you begin to sense that there's something wrong that needs to be changed and you wonder how can that be made right, it's the Spirit of God drawing you to Jesus, the only one who is righteous. So he, he convicts us of our sin of not believing in Jesus, the one who will bring us to God. He convicts us of our own need to be made right. And three, the Holy Spirit, Jesus says in verse 11, also convicts us that evil in this world and in our lives must be judged. 
The Holy Spirit convicts us about judgment because the prince of this world now stands condemned. Now listen, I have sometimes been so surprised when I find people who don't believe in God at all. They'll tell me that. Uh, In the very next sentence, we'll talk about what's happening in our world and how all these evils are out there and these people who abuse children shouldn't get away with that. That's the word, shouldn't get away with it. Or they'll read about ISIS, cutting off the heads of innocent people. They say that shouldn't be. They ought not get away with that. That is such a powerful word, that word should and shouldn't. Don't you think? It it means that there is a way that life is supposed to be lived. There is a standard outside of ourselves. That's the way life should be lived. And that is the way it should not be lived. And the question is, according to whom? Uh, Should is a question that atheists shouldn't ask. It's just whatever we want to do and live. It suggests that there is no justice unless evil is punished. And it always, that word, when you start asking that word, should and ought, I'm telling you, it's the Holy Spirit pointing you toward the God whose very character is the basis of what is right and wrong. And those promptings, when you really take time to pursue them, are always going to lead you to the God whose character is the basis for right and wrong and morality. You'll find it leads you, as I mentioned before, to the Jesus who is the only one who lived a sinless life. And, and because in this world there is no justice unless evil is punished, right? If you just let evil abound, it will proliferate and grow greater. Evil must be punished. But, the, but we've all engaged in it. And so here comes this Bible's message that speaks right at the heart of that that Jesus, the sinless one, was the one who was able to bear the punishment, punishment that must be meted out against my sin and to offer us new life in him. See, that's what Jesus says. When we give witness to him, it points to those eternal things that come into the lives of almost every thinking human being. Uh, the need to know that there is a God through faith in Jesus. The, the, the certainty that there are some things about us that are not right, that are messed up, and how they might be made right, and that evil must be judged. So that Jesus says the Holy Spirit is the one who convicts people in this world about that. And it was in the context of saying, it's better for me to go so that he could come. So think about this. When Jesus was here, effectively giving witness to calling people to the fact that there is a God and you have to repent of your sins and believe. After three years, there were very few believers. And most of the believers were very, very weak. But then one day when the Holy Spirit came, when the Holy Spirit came at Pentecost, 3,000 people believed, were drawn by the Holy Spirit to believe in Jesus and begin this journey of faith that leads us when we begin it toward becoming complete in Christ. And it's continued on. It's continued on. It's continued on in my lifetime. Uh, going into China and, and seeing uh, when, when uh, the communist government shut down any missionaries, everybody thought the church would die. It did not. It grew. The Spirit of God was there at work and drawing people and convicting people of the sin of unbelief and drawing them to Jesus. It, so, does it still happen? Sometimes it happens on a very personal level. So, as I was preparing the sermon, I've been reading. Uh, this um, autobiography by C. Everett Koop. Do, do any of you remember him? Pediatric surgeon, 
who was the attorney general, I mean, not attorney general, the, uh, the um, surgeon general. I said attorney general at 9 o'clock. Maybe we can correct that. The surgeon general of the United States in the uh, Reagan administration. And in his autobiography, it's called The Memoirs of Americans, America's Family Doctor. Dr. Koop wrote of how he came to faith in Jesus. Just listen to it. His testimony sounds like what Jesus wrote about here in John 16. So while he was living in Philadelphia, Dr. Koop started becoming interested in religious things and started going to the famous 10th Presbyterian Church there in Philadelphia where uh, Pastor Donald Barnhouse was the preacher. And he said he would hide way back up in the balcony. So if you can see people way in the, you can't see, it's too dark, way back there. Maybe somebody like Dr. Koop is here. He said as he would listen there, he would be criticizing the sermon, which none of you ever would. He would be saying things like, how dare that preacher say such things? Where does he get those crazy ideas? But Koop said as he, he kept going back anyway. And one day he began to realize that his questions were beginning to change from accusations and criticisms to personal introspection. He said, I saw one day that I was at best just a nominal religious person trying to become decent, but I had no real knowledge of God. I think Jesus would be saying the Holy Spirit was beginning to convict him of his sin of unbelief in Jesus. Coop went on to say that all of his efforts that, because he would go home and say, I'm just going to, I can live that way but all of his efforts to reform himself were to no avail. He saw things in his life that were wrong, but he said they were never improving. And Coop wrote, he began to realize that the essence of any true religion would have to be not in what we can do, but in what God does for us. And then hearing the gospel that he's willing to make us right through Jesus, he said, I had to be humble enough to own up to the fact that I needed him. I think uh, Jesus would say the Holy Spirit was convicting him of what true righteousness is. Then there was one day after Coop had been going to services for about a year that he realized that he was no longer sitting there listening to the sermons thinking, that's stupid, or who do you think you are, Mr. Preacher? He said, I realized I wasn't observing worship anymore. I was participating. I knew I was in. I was a believer in Jesus. So here we are in Pasadena, California. Does that still happen? Oh, some of you wonder. So I, that, I, I knew, because sometimes I wonder too. Uh, so I, but I, as I was doing this, uh, I went to a new members class. I got to hear again just a, just a statement or two from uh, John White. John last week, he's in our choir. John White last week was one of the soloists singing that great Zambian song. Uh, so I've asked John, John, if you would uh, come up for a moment. Uh, John is, is an engineer. He's a petroleum scientist. Um, and John, uh, when you first came to Lake Avenue Church, you were not a, a, a Jesus person. You weren't a follower of Jesus, were you? I was not. I thought I was a follower of Jesus, but that to me, didn't necessarily mean I needed to go to church or participate in anything or yeah. do anything like that. Yeah, so uh, what, what, brought, what, what brought you to church? Was it the, heard about the great preaching? Uh, what? <laughs> <laughs> I wish I could say yes. Um, but honestly, uh, my wife and I, when we came out to Southern California, uh, she knew that it was important for us to find a church 
And uh, I, of course, didn't care, you know, take it or leave it, I'm fine. But uh, we came to Lake after visiting a number of other churches and the worship that you guys have here with the contemporary rock and roll Jesus really spoke to Lauren, whereas I was from a more traditional background with hymns and like the orchestra that uh, Dwayne and uh, Jeremy, like all that really drew me. And then we also had a soccer ministry that got started, which I'm now leading with Josh Alt and all that. Yeah. So in other words, I mean, it was soccer and, and music and your wife twisting your arm mm. that really, really <laughs> brought you to church. Now, Lauren, I, I called you, I'm, I want you to come. I hadn't told Lauren I was going to do this, but I, I just, Lauren's story is the story of so many of us who are here today. Uh, Lauren, one of the first times you talked to me about John, you said, my husband John, he's not a Christian yet, but she said, uh, he has all these questions. Mm-hmm. Uh, what kind of questions were they? Uh, a lot of the questions that I had were around um, just, you know, how could good people, how, how could preachers say, and how could the Bible say that, you know, good people are uh, going to hell? And that was uh, my big struggle, and so I believe that there was no hell. Yeah, and that sort of all religions had mm-hmm. some grain some, of truth. Yeah, that, some common truth. You could weave them all together in a big, pretty picture. Yeah. yeah. Now, uh, <laughs> Lauren, you were praying for him these days, weren't you? Tell, tell us about that. Right. Um, so I grew up um, in a Christian home, and I gave my life to the Lord when I was five. And I had I have a very strong Christian family. And I met John, and I obviously fell in love with him. Um, but it was a really big struggle because I grew up reading the scriptures and knowing that God calls us not to be unequally yoked. And I, I realized after talking with John, even though he grew up in a, in a Presbyterian church for part of his life, that really he had never given his life to Christ. And so I tried a lot of debating, <laughs> and I tried a lot of hammering books over his head, and um, it seemed to push him further away from God and, and from me. And I, I realized that um, in, in the quietness that God really just was calling me to pray. And he called my family to pray, and I didn't realize how much they were praying for John. Um, but he, he really spoke to me, especially when we moved here. Um, it would have been easy for us to not go to a church because we, we were new to town, and I thought about not going to church just to make it easier between us. <laughs> but I, I felt God really calling me to, to pray a lot unceasingly for John and to find a church and find a home group. Yeah. And every time I've ever moved anywhere in my life, God's always been faithful to, to bless me. Every time I've been faithful to go and find a body of believers and, and get myself involved in a small group of people. Um, but I really believe now that um, prayer is more powerful than I gave it credit for. <laughs> yeah. So, so John, um, did you know Lauren was praying for you? And if so, how, how did that make you feel as, as her husband? I knew she was praying for me, but I thought something was wrong with her. Like, yeah. there's obviously <laughs> nothing wrong with me. This, you know, Jesus guy's got her feeling all guilty, and um, I'm really quite all right. You know, I've got the job, I've got the beautiful wife, I'm living in Southern California. You know, everything's perfect. Yeah, and how was that small group thing for you? So uh, the small group that we joined in with, I thought that that was just going to be another waste of an evening. I didn't think that I would ever really gain anything out of it, and I didn't want to do it. Um, 
but being surrounded by uh, the small group that we had, it was a bunch of guys that had been Christians all their life, and they were normal. They were, <laughs> they were nice. They weren't, you know, beating me over the head with a book, you know, like my wife had been. And, <laughs> um, uh, they were just a really uh, great group, group of guys and really uh, ministered to me. Yeah. Some of you don't know, I mean, Lauren is just a top-level scientist. Uh, she works at JPL now, too. So you would have thought that you could just argue him into the kingdom. But Lauren, did you ever just about give up? Yeah. <laughs> I thought about it a lot. It was really hard. Um, it, it was really hard. And I had to think about giving up. It was a struggle to find a group. Yeah. It was a struggle to find a group that was reading God's word. And yeah. I just kept praying, and God brought us this group of people who wanted to study the word with us. So uh, the, la the last thing, John, somehow you came through the door. I mean, here, I see you singing up here, and I know, I, I see it, what God is doing in your life. What happened? What, what brought you to where you are? So what eventually happened was, you know, after going through this small group, it became less and less of a waste of an evening. I became <laughs> more and more interested in learning about, you know, what was in John is what we were studying at the time. And I had a lot of uh, questions, and the guys in my group had a lot of answers. And uh, one of them just thought that it would be nice if I had something to listen to on the way to the car, or on the way to work. I commute down to Torrance, and so he gave me the screw tape letters. Mm. And this wonderful work of fiction and radio theater <laughs> convinced me and really convicted me, like, you know, I believe I'm a Christian. Um, but my wife doesn't seem to buy it, and the group, you know, didn't. And then even in this soccer ministry that I was a part of, Josh Alt asked me, are you a Christian? And, you know, a part of that is being able to say, you know, with your word, I give myself to you, uh, Lord, I, you know, yeah. Christ, have my life, you know, do what you will, that, and all those things, and I couldn't say it. And after... And then one day by... By Dodger Stadium. Dodger Stadium. Going south on the 110 towards work, I turned off the radio, and I gave my life to the Lord. It was powerful. Well, thank you. And, and, and now it, it is like a part of you has come to life, right? Yeah. I, if you had told John five years ago that he would be standing here, <laughs> um, <laughs> or singing in a choir, or doing the sports ministry, or any of the other things that we've been doing. I mean, we're excited about serving. That's, it's such a weird thought, I mean, to John five years ago. But not only, you know, are Lauren and I exciting, excited about serving now, the Word is exciting. You know, we, we're in small group, and we open up the Bible, and stuff makes sense now. And it kind of scares the small group sometimes when I get really excited, like, all we got to do is this, and everything's perfect, right? Like, let's just do it. Um, so it's even just, Lauren now. Even, even Lauren is a little freaked out by yeah. me sometimes. <laughs> uh, well, John and Lauren, thank you so much. I mean, this, this is exactly what Jesus is talking about. And thank you for your willingness to share, share, share your lives with us. I just wanted you so much to know that this is real 
And I wanted Lauren to come too because I think, Lauren, your story is the story of so many who are here, um, of, of people that you love, that you're praying for, your spouse, your child, your parent, your neighbor, and wondering, Jesus is saying that's why he's given the Holy Spirit. It's better, he says, that I go so that this work can happen. Do you see it? Let me tell you how this played out a little bit in my own life, just with one story. I, um, uh, the other pastors are asking me, tell us some of the stories of this working in your own life. So I started telling many, but the place I remember it beginning was when I was in high school. I was a senior in high school, and I sensed this burning burden, whatever this is inside, that I had to tell this most popular guy in the whole school. He was an athlete. He was going to be playing Division I sports in college when he went. I was supposed to go and tell him about Jesus. I didn't want to go over there and tell him about Jesus. I just said, he, won't, he doesn't want me to tell him about this. But over and over again, I got this prompting. So finally, one day when I had a few moments I could, where he was alone, I went over and I said, I, I just really feel that God wants me to come over and, and talk to you about Jesus. And he just looked at me and shook his head, turned around and walked away. I thought, that was bad. Uh, I, I knew it was wimpish. I mean, the way I'd done it was wimpish. And, and I thought, wow, so weak, so, so frail. I mean, I'll never do that again. I remember thinking that. And I, I, I did it many, many times. And, but I thought nothing happened. Nothing happened. It was about 20 years later that I was at my class reunion. And he came over and pulled me to the side. And he said, Greg, I got to tell you, I've been wanting to see you for years. We didn't have Facebook back then. Um, I'll tell you this for years. But I'm so thankful that you witnessed to me that day. I couldn't get it off my mind. I couldn't get it off my mind. And he said, when I went to the university, I found a campus crusade guy who then led me to faith in Jesus. I, I wanted John and, and Lauren to share their stories. I wanted to share you, with you uh, that story because, brothers and sisters, this is real. Uh, the Holy Spirit, is hard for us to describe wind and fire and dove-like things, but, but, it, but it's real. These promptings, Christians that we sometimes feel, this is what you shouldn't do anymore, stop doing that, or this is where I would have you to go and speak. These are promptings that you and I need to learn to obey. And when you come and you sense, yeah, God is at work here, I want you to open up your life to him. So this is what I want you to do in the light of this sermon. When, when you sense that God would have you to speak with someone about Jesus, ju just do it. it even, even if it's a person you've spoken with before, and you think that they don't want to hear from me. And I, don't you think often with our children or our spouses, that must have been hard sometimes, Lauren. It's the hardest person. Just, just do what you'd have God to do. You don't have to be irritating. You don't have to have all the answers. Very few people are argued into the kingdom of God. Most people are witnessed into the kingdom of God. We, we, we've got to give the reason for the hope that we have, the Bible says. But mostly you and I are just called to be faithful, uh, to witness and to pray. And then when you speak, even if your, your witnessing is as weak as mine was in high school, Peter says, when we speak in his name, 1 Peter 4.11, we can speak as one speaking the very words of God because the Spirit of God is there and takes our frail words and empowers them in the lives of people. So believers, I, I, I don't want you to give up on your children or your parents or people that you love. I don't want you to give up because God does not. And often those who are the hardest to Christ are those we will see the greatest work of God's Spirit in drawing them to himself. And, and, and if you have come and, and you feel those inner promptings today, um, 
you say, I, I need to come alive to Jesus the way that John did, I just want you to know that that isn't your imagination. It isn't just a bit of undigested beef that you had last night. Because <laughs> the Spirit of God is real. And when you're sensing that sort of prompting, um, thank God for it. Because God loves you more than you could ever love yourself or that anybody could ever love you. You don't have to be afraid of Him. You don't have to be afraid of Him. What He will do in your life is beautiful. It is good. He will at last allow you to live the way He made you to live. Learn to say yes. If that's happening, be grateful and simply turn to him and say, I don't understand it all, but I know there are things in my life that need to be made right. I've, I confess them, will you forgive me? And he says, I will. And say, I don't quite understand what it means to do this, but I want to believe in Jesus. I don't know how the words you use, John, but just something that simple. I'm in, I'm through, I, my life belongs to Jesus. Jesus said it is better for him to go so that the Spirit of God can come. And I tell you, it all points to Jesus. And it's all to his glory. Amen. 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 May I? Praise God. Let me lead us in prayer for just a moment. Father, now I pray that your spirit may work in each of our hearts. I know that sometimes it's to convict us of our own sin that we need to get right with you, and I pray that that will happen, that you will set some of your children free from some things that have been obsessing or oppressing us. Sometimes, Father, it's exactly what Jesus talked about here, simply to give witness to him in a world that at first may persecute or, or mock or even hate, but you say your spirit will be there beside us using our words to convict the very one who may be accusing us. Oh, Father, you do it. We, we know this is true. And you ask us simply to be your, your witnesses. Father, give us that courage. And then we'll trust you to do your work. We see our work is to be witnesses. The Spirit's work is to convict we, we, Father, are ready to take up our work. And Father, I want to pray for any other brothers or sisters or people who are here, just like John when he first came in, people that you love with an everlasting love, uh, not yet alive to you. Father, through your Spirit, work in their hearts. Help them to know that you are real and that Jesus is the way to you. Draw us all to you. In his name, amen.